and welcome back to Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valley Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Listeners, we are rolling past episode 70. I don't even know what episode number this is, but it's past 70, I think. And so I think that's a huge milestone and something to um, be proud of in 2021, because I feel like a lot of people have felt like 2021's another whirlwind or an exaggeration of 2020. And we want to, we just, yeah, one thing positive that's happening. Um, But this week, as um, we were discussing and looking back through old topics, um, we came across something that has been near and dear to our hearts, but we haven't breached the topic yet. And it's the conversation of small versus big agriculture. And it seems like there is always a bad rap with big ag or sometimes even small ag. And so we kind of wanted just to have a discussion around that. Catherine and I tend to discuss this topic quite frequently um, within ourselves. So we thought we'd bring it to you um, to kind of just throw a different wrench in, in what's happening in the political scheme and some of the COVID stuff we've discussed um, around, around those topics. Yeah, and I think, you know, COVID definitely brought home um, you know, the idea of consolidation in agriculture and the food system in the United States and, and how it sort of ground to a screeching halt last, last spring. Um, and people really started, you know, wondering about, um, the food supply chain and, and how things work and why things work or don't work. Um, and it just seems like a good time to to bring some attention to this topic. And as always listeners, we would love to hear what you have to say about this. So um, sound off in the comments and uh, send us an email and we'll let you know where at the end of the the episode. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I think, why don't we dive into the big packers? Um, It seems like packers and processors, especially on a large scale have hit the news um, quite a bit with COVID. Um, And it's, it's kind of, you have mixed feelings um, about it. And I think everybody does, but what Catherine do you is a positive about a big processor or what does it allow the industry to do? Yeah. Well, first off it allows, um, for a lot of producers to get their product to market, um, quickly and efficiently. And, and it allows consumers to have the same product, um, every time, all the time, whenever they're looking for it. So um, there's consistency in availability of product. You know, if you want a steak every every Monday night, you can go to the store on Sunday afternoon and, and pick out your ribeye or your New York strip or whatever it is that you like to eat. <laughs> um, and, and it will, you know, it's always, it's always there. And you know that it's always going to be there, um, usually around the same kind of price point. And and, um, you know, consumers can depend on that kind of consistency. And I think, you know, something that gets lost in the discussion um, around consolidation in big versus small in agriculture, uh, whether it's production or processing, is that, um, you know, this, this system evolved for a reason. And um, whether or not they know it implicitly, uh, consumers asked for this type of a system. And we want cheap, quick, convenient food. And it's, I think the big, the big processors or the big packers um, have allowed us that opportunity to get 
milk or meat or vegetables clear across the country overnight almost and continue to stock the shelves um, in whatever capacity, whether it's hamburger, milk, yogurt, you know, I, I can guarantee that I can go get a cup of Chobani yogurt at my local King Supers every single day, which I think is to me, very convenient because I like my Chobani yogurt in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Dairy producers, thank you for that. (laughs) And, you know, you say, um, getting stuff overnight, almost, I mean, in the dairy industry, milk can get from the cow to a producer or to a consumer's table in less than 36 hours, um, you know, for fluid milk and obviously yogurt and cheese and things take a little bit more time, but, uh, that's how fast, um, the supply chain is these days and it's, and it's, um, you know, I think it's really a strength of the system showing that, that we can have product on, on families tables that fast. Um, and that consistently. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty impressive. Um, but why do you think, you know, especially we saw it quite a bit with COVID, um, but why do you think big processors, big packers sometimes get a bad rap or get negativity thrown, thrown their way? Um, even though we'd love to have product overnight or fresh product. Yeah. You know, I think that there's sort of a cultural perception of big is bad. Um, and it's, you know, it's easy to perpetuate, uh, that sort of a narrative in today's day and age of, of instant, um, communications. And, you know, I sort of wonder, um, if, I mean, you think about other, other big things in our, in our society, uh, you think about cell phones, you know, Apple, um, and Android, you know, there's not too much competition beyond, beyond those two phone making companies. Um, you know, you can even think about, uh, cellular, cellular companies, AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile, you know, what else is out there? Um, so there's, there's already a lot of, um, big companies for lack of a better word. And I wonder if in the American psyche, it's that, you know, food is one thing that people feel like they can control what's going into their bodies. And um, they feel like they can demand, um, you know, better, whatever that might be from their perspective uh, in terms of, in terms of their food system and, and supply chain transparency, if that makes sense. I think it does. And I, you know, when you kind of start talking about that, you know, I think food is something tangible. It's something we can, I think everybody to some extent, whether they're farmers and ranchers or not, has grown a plant of some kind in their life. And so they feel like it's not, maybe it's not that hard to grow potatoes or it's not that hard to grow onions or, or milk a cow or whatever. Um, Whereas it's really hard to create an iPhone. I don't know how to create an iPhone, but I can put a seed in the ground and water it. And I'm I'm not de- little belittling, not belittling, belittling um, farmers and ranchers. But I think maybe the perception too is that we found a way to make it efficient. But everybody has the capabilities of growing food to some extent, and so I wonder if people think um, that we're upcharging them or we're we're doing something to be different but it's so complex and it's a lot more complicated than just putting a seed in the ground or just 
growing a calf to a cow and milking the cow. Like there's a lot more intricacies, I think that the consumer doesn't understand, but they understand the basics of planting a seed. And so I think, I wonder if there's some disconnect just in the whole process and the complexity that agriculture is a science. It is a industry. It is big and changing and evolving. And it's just something I kind of, you know, food seems simple compared to an iPhone. Right. No, I think that you're onto something there, definitely. And I think um, maybe too, something that gets lost in translation is the economies of scale. Um, my husband and I, I've got a perfect example of this. My husband and I had a couple steers for the last uh, year or two that we've been um, using to graze our pasture. And, you know, we say that we wanted to get our pasture into better shape, but really we're just two farm kids who like to have critters around. <laughs> um, um, but we raised these two steers for beef. And um, we were under no illusions at the beginning that uh, this would be a cheaper way to raise our meat. Um, but we were a little bit surprised by uh, the costs involved um, for just our two steers and then trying to get them um, you know, sold in the marketplace um, just locally was uh, more of a challenge than we anticipated. And um, you know, if, if we could have, you know, you could, you could do that for two steers, um, or you could spread that cost across 15 steers maybe, um, and have, and have, you know, a little bit better economy of scale and a little bit better of a payout. Um, and so I think people think, just like you said, it's simple to put a seed in the ground. It's simple to milk a cow, relatively speaking, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, to, you know, to be able to grow your own food or thinking that maybe you're going to save a buck. But I mean, I'm here to tell you, if you think that you're going to save a buck by um, buying a milk cow, buying her feed, uh, whatever your time is worth milking her twice a day and figuring out something to do with that milk every single day, um, instead of just paying $3 for your gallon of milk once a week, um, you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I think that gets lost. Um, kind of in some of that communication, but also, you know, then the economy of scale grows. So it's, you know, more efficient to feed out 750 head or the economy of scale works out to a thousand milk cows or whatever it might be. Then we start talking about confined animal feeding operations and um, those kinds of things that again, have a bad rap because you start putting more manure together in one place. You start concentrating more feed and there's best management practices But some of that, I think, again, gets lost in, well, they're big and bad, Um, even though, you know, a 750 head feed yard is really not that big. And but maybe that's that's a scale that somebody can get to to find that that economy of scale. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, having to deal with those larger um, excessive resource issues, you know, um, if you are a larger operation, you'll have more avenues to be able to get rid of your waste, for example, or, um, you know, deal with your manure than, you know, just whatever me and Jimmy had with our two steers running around in the backyard. Um, but, uh, you've, you've got a point definitely that, um, you know, economies of scale, are important and they're, you know, they're a factor in capitalism and I think should be a factor in, in, um, you know, when people are considering what they want out of their food supply chain, but, 
um, something that's easy to get lost in translation because it's easy to say, well, I can grow my own lettuce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. And I guess I'm going to flip the coin a little bit. Um, where do we say big is big enough though? Because sometimes you start consolidating resources or pooling resources and then are able to get bigger bank loans and make, make things more and more efficient. Um, and so, you know, a, a pod comes every day to pick up a load of steers to head, head to the um, butcher every day. It makes it so that they're going to come to you to buy that. Whereas maybe your neighbor is really efficient, has low cost of production at 750 head, but they don't fill a pot every day. They have two or three every day that they're sending. And so sometimes they get overlooked, even though their cost is, is efficient. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And is, is that a problem? Do, does the, the small-ish guy need maybe look at niche marketing? Or is this another case where, where the big, you know, not necessarily good or bad either way, but like where the little guy sometimes gets left in the dust too? Yeah, you know, that's, it's, I think from the outside looking in, it's really easy to say that on the face of it, um, that, you know, the, the big get bigger and the small go out, like, you know, like what everybody thought Secretary uh, Sonny Purdue said um, in the fall of 2019 about, um, you know, expansion and consolidation in the, in the agricultural industry. Um, I think, you know, not to sound too pie in the sky or, or like, um, like a Pollyanna, but, but I think that there's room at the table in American agriculture for everyone. Um, you know, there's, there's that family of seven or eight that relies on cheap ground beef from Walmart. And there's the family of three um, along the front range that has a little bit more um, buying power and, um, you know, have more niche interests and are able to purchase something from, from that point in the supply chain. And so, I mean, I think, you know, that they're, so, I mean, I think that the American food system exemplifies the fact that there's room for everybody. Um, you know, there's, there's room for everybody who wants um, cheap and plentiful food. And if you want something more niche, more special, more craft, more, um, you know, local insert the buzzword here, um, you know, that's, that's certainly available too. And as we, you know, as we move through this pandemic, I think that it's been, um, exemplified that um, American agriculture or the food supply chain is maybe not as flexible as we would like, but that um, but that people are willing to move to whatever part of it has available what they want because I mean, we saw a lot of the big packers really struggle at the beginning of this, um, you know, with a lot of COVID cases and they were shutting down and everything. And meanwhile, um, you know, small local packers are booked out two years right now for slaughter dates. And so uh, people, you know, it, it seems like people will find a way. I think so too. And it's, you know, and I think we also go in cyclical patterns too, you know, you, you get consolidation and then at some point that consolidation breaks down and sometimes it's a pandemic that, that breaks it down a little bit, um, and gives the opportunity for the mid-sized packer or the local butcher to step up. But 
look at different packing um, laws and see if we can't get some of these smaller packers, you know, USDA inspected and, and able to serve the local communities a little better when, when the big packers are um, hit. So I think it kind of goes in a cyclical cycle. You know, there's times of consolidation and there's times where things break down a little bit. And you've got, I think as anybody in the agricultural um, world, we have to learn to diversify enough and be able to be creative to ride some of that, the cyclical nature that agriculture has, whether it's consolidation or niche marketing or just markets in general, like we um, talked with Rick Nair about a few weeks ago. Yeah, just being able to spread your risk a little bit um, and being able to have uh, flexibility and, and, you know, being able to kind of not turn on a dime because that's, you know, that's not necessarily how business works, but being able to, um, you know, pivot towards um, something else that may make a little bit more sense in whatever the current market is, um, I think has certainly been um, a lesson of this pandemic for sure. I think so too. And it's, I think, I think we need to learn these lessons. I, you know, we all get caught up in the pointing fingers or the negativity. Um, but there's always, there's always something to be learned and something to adapt to and, and figure out. And I think for me, it's kind of fun to figure out some of the niche marketing, some of the, um, natural beef, some of the grass fed beef while also having the conventional cow herd still intact. Like how can we, how can we still play in all these markets and spread our risk, but also not bash or point fingers or get frustrated with any sector of the industry? Because like you said, there, there's a place at the table for all of us and we, we have to protect ourselves and we have to find what works best for our operation. But that doesn't mean it's right for your operation or your neighbor's operation or Joe in Kansas. You know, I think we've all got to find find what works for us. Yeah. And somehow finding what works for us is, you know, and then, and then, um, you know, each taking our, our part in the supply chain is really what makes American agriculture the, the wonder of the world that it is today. And I think too, it's important to remember from a consumer perspective. Um, and I don't know the proper way or the politically correct way to remind people about this. <laughs> um, but like I said earlier, the food system evolved the way that it did for a reason. And I mean, agriculture has been consolidating ever since it came into being 10,000 years ago, um, because it's a lot of hard work to, to produce food. And if you can produce more food with fewer resources, that leaves a lot of leeway for other people to go and figure out how to do things like making iPhones. Mm -hmm. And so it's, um, you know, it's allowed people to specialize both within the industry and for people to go out and figure out other things to do that add value to our world um, without having to worry where their next meal is coming from. Well, and I think it allows too. you know, we're not all, like you said, out there planting onions or picking grapes or milking the cow um, every single day anymore, but it allows people to specialize in ag, but we're also able to work in agriculture and not necessarily be in production. So we're able to start, you know, advancing genetics and looking at different avenues in the industry that's a little different than um, 
than we normally would. You know, there's there's ways to to spread ourselves and and maybe we're in production just half the time now. Um, and then doing, you know, in banking or finance or marketing. Um, the other part of part of our time, just being able to even diversify our lives to some extent, I think is a blessing as well. No, I think you're absolutely right. And it's it's important to remember those blessings. Um, you know, especially on days where the wind's blowing and and you don't know, you know, you're missing a heifer from your herd or, you know, whatever the challenge is, um, or you've had a rough day in the office and, and, uh, you know, can't wait to get back out to your animals, but it's an important thing to remember, um, you know, perspective and, and to keep ourselves, um, from, you know, wishing for, for good old days that maybe didn't actually exist. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a good reminder, you know, in anything we're doing, you know, whether it's, whether it's agriculture or your day-to-day job. And um, it's kind of funny, Catherine, how we start talking about packers and processing and end up on a touchy feely. (laughs) (laughs) But I, that's, that's what I love about this. And that's what I love about millennial ag is how, how conversations can ebb and flow and how, how we find a way to bring it back to who we are and kind of what we hope our perspective on life is and what we try to thrive to achieve each and every day. Yeah, it's, it is funny how that works. And I guess that's just sort of the nature of millennial lag. <laughs> yep, and that's, that's why we're in charge of it. And that's why we're um, running it the way we are. Cause we can have these, these conversations and ask those tough questions um, and let the conversation roll. So listeners, we, we thank you for tuning into this week's episode. We want to know what you think about big ag, what you think about small ag, what you think about niche marketing, or what those terms even mean to um, you. You can um, either do that through social media, direct message us, uh, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or you can email, at, email us at talktous at millennialag.com. Until next time, we are Millennial Ag.